I said this at 8 o'clock. This is always sort of gets me. The first lesson, which I'm going to preach on, uh, at the end it says, Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. I will bring disaster on you, whereupon the reader says, uh, the word of the Lord, and everybody says, thanks be to God. <laughs> so you may not feel like that, and that's okay, but it's, and at eight, particularly at 8 o'clock in the morning, it's like I'm only getting about 10% of this anyway. <laughs> I'm, I, the last two weeks I've been talking about the lectionary, the origin of the lectionary, why we have a three-year lectionary, what the emphases are in each of the years. And in year C, which we're in now, uh, the, the, the year is guided, of course, by what gospel is read the majority of the time. So in year C, Luke, our patron, is the one that we read is the gospel. But the other two readings, uh, there are different emphases for different years. So I would guess that this year uh, we have an emphasis on the prophetic tradition in the Hebrew Bible. So we're starting to hear from Elijah, about Elijah, and about Elisha, which we're going to read again, we've read again today. And then in the epistles, we're reading from Galatians, which I'm going to preach on as well, on Colossians, and on the letter to the Hebrews. There'll be some other readings, but those are the main emphases. And Galatians is very important because it's one of the centerpieces uh, of the whole idea of justification by faith through grace and what we mean by it. So I'm going to propose some alternatives to the traditional readings of what, uh, how that has been interpreted uh, in terms of what Paul says in Galatians. And then to say something briefly about the, the gospel, the woman anointing uh, the feet of Jesus. Um, this, a, a version of this story appears in all four gospels. So uh, I'm going to use it as something to, to uh, sort of reaffirm what Paul uh, is saying today in Galatians. So that's going to be uh, a narrow focus. But I, what I'm not going to say, and I should mention now, is that it appears that Jesus and some of his uh, disciples um, were being bankrolled by a number of women who were following him around. So uh, there's, there's that. And uh, we can talk about that another time. So, First Kings, we meet Elijah, sort of the Rambo of the Old Testament. <laughs> and Elijah got the word today uh, because something had occurred. A man named Naboth owned a vineyard that was right next to King Ahab. And King Ahab wanted it for a vegetable garden because it was nearby, it was next to him. So he asked to purchase it uh, from Nabob, and Nabob said, it isn't for sale. Uh, this is part of my ancestral inheritance, and I don't want to sell it. And so uh, Ahab gets himself into a blue funk, and he goes back home, and he lies down on his bed with his face to the wall. You know, and his wife, Jezebel, have we heard that name? Jezebel, it's like, well, 
sweetheart, why can't don't why don't you want to eat something or you know do he said I I no. He's just So she sort of braces him and says you need to you need to stand up. You need to man up and you need to take care of this situation and I'll fix it for you. I'll do some things so that you can you can get what you want. And so he uh they they fix it so the two people uh, d- disreputable fellows, I think it says, accuse Nabob of something, whereupon he gets tried and convicted and stoned to death. And it is at that point that uh, God calls upon Elijah to go and to uh, confront the king. Now, remember, we have had this happen before in First and Second Samuel. Remember the story of Nathan the prophet? Nathan the prophet pays a visit to King David, who had um, become involved with Bathsheba. And as the consequence of that, he had sent Uriah the Hittite into the heat of the battle so that Uriah the Hittite would be killed. And then he sends for Bathsheba. You know, this is the thing. Don't decide to read the Bible from cover to cover. Read selectively. There's some very good stories in the Hebrew Bible, and the first and second Kings and first and second Samuel are among them. You'll learn some things about uh, how God uses imperfect people to achieve his purposes in the world. And so you and I ought to all take comfort from that. Right? And in one sense, this is what what this is about. So Elijah goes to King Ahab and he confronts him and he tells him that um, there's going to be big trouble and plenty of it. Now, the reason we're focusing on the prophetic tradition in this cycle of readings is that the prophetic tradition was one of the places that uh, Gentiles found compelling about what we now call Judaism. And so when I talk about Galatians, I mentioned this before, we have a group of people who are Gentiles, who are um, attracted to Judaism, and who live sort of on the fringes of Jewish communities, but have not become Jews because the rules are males must be circumcised, you need to keep the dietary laws, and you need to keep the Sabbath. And so there has been an enormous pull among many Gentiles uh, to become part of this, but there's a barrier. And now that we have uh, Jesus Christ, who Paul has preached as the Messiah, they find that this is something that is very compelling to them and they wish to be part of it. The tradition in, in the prophets about justice is important, and here's what the theme of today's reading is about. The injustice of manipulating the judicial system and the denial of due process. Have we heard of anything about that in our own lifetime? (laughs) The violation of distributive justice by taking more than they need and depriving Naboth of his most basic right, which is his life. The violation of the substance of justice, which rests on the character of Israel's God as just, a just God. Now, the the, the Christians of the New Testament are going to inherit this tradition, 
and they're going to look back on that as compelling and believe now they wish to continue this because in the words and works of Jesus and in his teaching, that has been reaffirmed. And the writer of Luke's gospel, our patron, is more concerned than any other gospel writer about issues of social justice and equity in the wider society. And so we have Jesus in the gospel according to St. Luke speaking, preaching, and teaching about the importance of those things more than any other gospel writer. So we have this issue of the importance of the justice of God. And this is going to be continued in Galatians in a strange way because we're going to talk about justification. And Paul today is speaking about this. I wish they hadn't sort of cherry-picked uh, in Galatians uh, the way they have because what we're reading about today is Paul's sort of exposition uh, on the law and on all of these kinds of things he's talking about. Um, whether you have to keep the law or not. And it was preceded, which we didn't read last week. We read something else at the beginning. But in chapter 2, it's preceded by a story that he tells about being in Galatia and have, in Antioch, which is in that area where Paul had his sort of headquarters, that Peter comes from Jerusalem to Galatia. And when he's there with Paul, he eats with the Gentiles. He sits down and eats with them, which means he was not observing the Jewish dietary laws because Jews did not eat with Gentiles. So he does this, and then some other James and some other people from Jeru the Jerusalem church, Jewish Christians, <coughs> came, and when they came, Peter steps away. And Paul publicly rebukes him for this as a hypocrite and saying, if you do this and you have lived like this before and now you're stepping away from it because your cohorts from the Jerusalem church have come, you've had a very, very bad failure of nerve. And so we don't have any idea. Uh, someone asked me, do you think Peter was mad when that happened? What do you think? <laughs> right? I think he would have been put out to a degree. So I want to explain something about this business about justification by faith uh, with a little history. In the past 30 years, there has been um, a sea change in the study of Paul. I've talked about this a lot. It's called the new perspective on Paul. And what it's focused on, and the reason it was created, was because it became clear that the picture of the Judaism of the first century that is depicted by the Protestant reformers is not an accurate picture in terms of what the law is for, in terms of keeping the law, and in terms of understanding the questions that Paul was asking. Uh, N.T. Wright, the former Bishop of Durham, who now teaches at uh, the University of Edinburgh, said, here's the thing. Many of the Protestant reformers uh, created um, the correct answer to the wrong question. Paul wasn't concerned about the things that Luther was concerned about. 
or Calvin was concerned about. Paul was concerned about this. What precedes today's reading is when we go to Antioch and we have Peter there and Paul there and then the others, um, do we sit down with the Gentiles or not? And so the question is, are the Gentiles in or are they not in? And how do you get in and what do you have to do uh, to be in? So for Paul, what this means is a very narrow thing which has become now the great explanation for everything for 500 years in some circles. Paul says, if you're a Gentile and you keep hearing the message of the saving work of Christ and what he has done and who he is, you first listen to this story, and if you're a Gentile, that is, in this case, somebody influenced by Greek ideas, or if you are, it is foolish. It doesn't make any sense. If you're a Jew and you listen to this, it is a scandal. But something happens because the more you hear the story, the more you hear the narrative, the more you begin to say to yourself, I believe this. I now believe this. And it is at that moment for Paul that you're in faith in Christ. Little moment. You're in. You don't have to do anything to be in. You are in. And what that means is that because of that, Jews and Gentiles can eat together and should eat together. The Gentiles are not uh, second-class citizens. Now, the word Gentile in Greek is ethnos. We heard a word similar to that, haven't we? Okay, ethnos. So one of, the, one of the translations of that word is those people. Those people. So now the question is, do we get to eat with those people? It cuts both ways, of course. And the answer for Paul is yes. Well, what do I have to do to get in? You have to believe in Christ. Why do we keep the law? Well, a Jew didn't keep the law to get in. A Jew kept the law because they were in and it was a sign of their faithfulness. So when we begin to think to, to ourselves, well then when, when Gentiles come in, what do they do? They have faith in Christ and they reflect the works of the Spirit. Love, joy, kindness, peace, gentleness, self-control... And by virtue of that, it is their gratitude for being in. It is not the thing that gets them in. This is very important. So that you begin to think about, well, Paul has now come to this conclusion about the law that you don't need to do this. Although elsewhere he says, if you want to continue, if you're a Jewish Christian, you want to continue to keep the law, keep it. You know, I've kept the law, I'm blameless before God, I've dotted all the I's, I've crossed all the T's, but you don't need to do that. If you're a Jew, it's belief in Christ. If you're a Gentile, it's belief in Christ. And that's how, that's how it's working. In Romans, which we'll get to sometime along the way, chapter 3 at the end, there's a passage, 
that often in certain biblical translations and people who are special pleaders about justification cut off. They don't, they don't reproduce it. And that is, or is God the God of the Jews only? Or the God of the Gentiles? Also. So it has something to do with that idea. I'm, I, you can tell, maybe this is not a hobby horse you wish to ride. <laughs> but it's been bugging me for a long time. So what the new perspective on Paul does is rehearse all of this and say a lot about the way Jews behaved and what they thought in the first century, in first century Palestine. But it also has to do with what I said earlier. What does it mean to be in? And the centerpiece of Paul's outlook is participation in Christ. The processes of, as the Eastern Orthodox say, becoming less unlike God. So in your spiritual journey, you come to see uh, ways in which you recover a deeper understanding of your true self. We are not God, but our true self is God, as Thomas Keating says. So in the Gospel from Luke, we have the woman who uh, bathes the, the Savior's feet with her tears and anoints his feet. And he gets into a conversation with Simon, the Pharisee, and they have this, this uh, conversation. But the interesting thing to me is that this just reeks of uh, the woman doing something that is gratitude for being in. Right? When you're justified, some other place it calls being saved, all right? When, when you have been saved, it is in that language like being in a law court where the judge says not guilty or righteous. It has absolutely nothing to do with your moral character. Nothing. And that's true in a court of law today, isn't it? If you're not guilty you're not guilty, doesn't make any difference what kind of a person you are. And that's what God does. God says, righteous. So how do we live up to that? What do we do with that knowledge? You see? So the Christian faith in life may have something to do with beginning to understand more deeply and more fully the processes of God at work in you. Because most of the time as we move forward and make any kind of moral progress at all, it involves a certain amount of 2020 hindsight, doesn't it? Where you have to look back and say, boy, I was really a jerk. My behavior was uh, not good, you know. And now I'm beginning to see how I can um, make some form of amendment of life by this continuous reflection of how I behaved before and how corrupt my motives had been and maybe they're now this much less corrupt than they were before but what helps me along the way is not guilty in right standing by the grace of God and that's what this is about it isn't about 
the freedom of the individual versus the institutional church or the corruptions of the medieval church or any of those kinds of things. It's about the person's relationship with God and how we understand by virtue of that we are in right standing. And more to the point that we need now to become instruments of the kind of inclusion that God's radical action has produced. So that we're practicing what has been done for us. So issues of justice and equity, uh, the great prophets of Israel are going to come in handy as we move forward. So this week, give thanks for uh, the God who is the God of justice and equity. And this understanding of the nature of God's presence uh, has been part of our sacred literature from the beginning. And more to the point, I say this over and over again, it becomes clearer and clearer as you move on your spiritual pilgrimage that God needs each one of you, each one of us, to fulfill his purposes in the cosmos. And that gratitude uh, knows no bounds. Amen.